I sent you a link by uh, WhatsApp just about half an hour ago. Um, that's Anandaji Swamiji's daughter who's giving a lecture on Bhagavad Gita chapter 10. So it starts tomorrow uh, evening. So if anybody wants to uh, join in, feel free to uh, register. It's free. Yeah. Morning. 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 Some of you may have already heard Sanandaji speak before. Um, but if you haven't, then she's covering chapter 10. Um, she's a very good speaker, very clear. Okay, so today we finished this chapter, chapter three. The yoga of action. We began topic six last class way to overcome the impediments, verses 40 to 43. And we covered the first two verses, which we'll recap. Does anyone have any questions before we begin? Okay, great. Ready, everyone? Okay. So this is, we're gonna do topic six. In topic five, Arjuna asks the Lord, what force is it that causes a person not to perform the right action? What makes a person do something against his own wishes? Something he knows is wrong. What is the impediment? Anyone? What stops us from following the right path? What is, stops us from following the right path? We need to know that before we carry on this class. What are the two impediments everyone has to stop them from doing what they ought to do? Two things. Nipabin, you look as if you know. I remember. Um, our desires and our ego. Desire, ego. Ego is so. Desire and anger, but I'm glad you put, you brought ego up. When we say, I am, I was thinking of this this morning, I was gonna, wasn't sure if I was gonna cover it, but since Deepa mentioned the word, when we say, I am, what are we doing? As soon as we say, I am, what are we doing? Yeah, Benita? Your ego comes over your self. You qualify the ego. As soon as you say I, that's the self, Brahman, God within you. As soon as you say I am, you're qualifying the ego. And that ego is your, your mind, intellect, your desires, 
everything that attracts you to the world. As soon as you say, I am tall, I am short, I am fat, I am thin, I am a woman, I am a man, you qualify the ego. And, and, and to get back to that I, we have to dissolve the ego, which is what we're doing by gaining knowledge of our true personality. As soon as you say I am, you're qualifying the ego. Is that, is that clear? Any questions? Thank you for bringing it up, Deepa. It was on my mind this morning, actually, to bring up, but since you mentioned it, reminded me so in a nutshell that quantifies everything everything we're doing in this world we're saying i am and that separates you from god so karma broda desire and anger are the two impediments or the ego which is the completeness of your personality without the self is what is in the impediment that stops us from following the right path. So therefore, desires is regarded as the greatest enemy in our life because it covers the self within. As soon as you have desires, you lose the self. And it's the self that is our true personality, the I, that's who we are. Desires arise due to ignorance of the self. Due to this ignorance, we feel an incompleteness, emptiness, a void within. I'm just repeating what we covered. So that emptiness within us, to fulfill that, the thoughts flow towards objects and beings in the world, hoping that it would fulfill the emptiness, that void I feel, I feel incomplete. Maybe if I get married, I'll feel complete. Maybe I'll have a child, I'll feel Maybe if I change my job, I'll feel complete. Maybe I'll eat a chocolate cake, I'll feel fulfilled. <laughs> Whatever we decide, we're trying to fill this void. Can fulfilling worldly desires fill this emptiness, this void within us? Anyone? Can it? What can fill this void? What can fulfill this void? Yeah, Nilam? Remembering and re-merging with the true self. And how do we do this? By gaining? Knowledge. Knowledge of the self. Yeah. The true personality. And desire stops us from gaining this knowledge. Desire stops us from getting this wisdom this knowledge of our true personality. I don't want to come Sunday class. You know, I have to go, I want to go on a trip to the beach. Desire for that stops you from gaining knowledge of the self. It's a simple example, but desire from that stops you gaining the knowledge of the self. So constant agitations. We go through constant agitations due to unfulfilled desires. And it stops our intellect from thinking clearly. 
This is the problem. Any questions? That's uh, just a uh, recap on topic five, because we've missed the class. Uh, we have to cover the, get you back onto track. <laughs> topic six, which we started. Desires are insatiable, just like fire. Fire is insatiable, no matter how much wood you feed a fire, it will ask for more. It'll devour forests. It'll never say enough is enough. Desires are the same. Where are these desires? Where do they enter from? How do they get into us? What must we do to control them? Lord Krishna explains how to overcome desires, the impediment, the barrier stopping us from getting to our goal as a human being. Verse 40, we covered. Lord Krishna advises that they are the desires are located at the three different centers of the human personality. This is the seat of all desires. What are those three? Three areas where they enter from within all of us. Where do the desires come from, Vanita? One is through our senses. Yeah. I'm not sure about the other two. Okay, Nilam, could you step in? I was going to say it was, I think I might have got it wrong. The Raja, uh, uh, the Tamas the rajas and the sattva, but that's wrong, isn't it? The gunas. Those are the different qualities of desires that may enter, hmm. depending on your personality. But where do the desires are seated? Where do they enter from? Dipa? Uh, body, mind, and intellect. They enter from either the, in the, the, the physical level, the five senses, as Vanita said, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, or touching. We have a desire for those five things. That's where they can enter from. The next entry point of desires is in the mind. Emotion, I need love. Mental level. And the third, so um, second is emotional, mind, mental level, attachment to our children, our partner, our business, to the power we hold, to fame, the mind can be attached to anything. So desires at the mental level. And the third, at the thought level, in the intellect, desire for knowledge. So these desires, when they enter in us from these three areas, if they're really strong, they can take over our intellect, take over our thinking capacity. We can no longer think straight. Why can't we think straight? Yeah, we haven't got the capacity to uh, the knowledge to sort of filter out what's right and what's wrong because our mind is stronger than our intellect. Yeah, the desires agitate the mind. I want to fulfill that desire. I want to fulfill that desire. You become obsessive. So you can't think clearly. You can't be rational.
I was uh, with a friend recently and he said, Andy, he said, whenever I see something in a shop, no matter what it is, I never buy on impulse. I will always wait 24 hours, think about it. Only then, if that desire is still there, we'll go and buy it. And I thought that was a really good, that was a really good idea. That was a really good statement. Never buy anything on impulse. Think about it, 24 hours. If that desire is still there, entertain it. So the agitation, we can't think straight. This ultimately leads us to confusion, delusion, and ultimately destroying us. It's like a car without a steering wheel. What will eventually happen to the car? You all know the answer. It will crash, same thing. We will crash. Any questions? That was verse 40. Okay, and then verse 41. Therefore, Arjuna, control your senses, kill your desires. This is what is stopping you from doing what you're supposed to do. This is the barrier that is standing between you and Godhood. Fight the battle and do your duty. Krishna says, Arjuna, first control the senses, the five senses, before the emotions and thoughts. And the reason is the senses are gross, easier to control. You can use the mind and intellect, which is more subtle to do this. So to control the five senses, it's easier than controlling the mind or the intellect. Desires are sinful because it creates mental agitations. It niggles, agitates you until you fulfill the desire. Therefore, kill that enemy desire. Arjuna is a warrior, so he understands, kill the enemy. That's what we covered. Any questions? Yeah, what's our enemy? Great, right, verse 42. Everyone on the same page now, yeah? Great. Spend more time doing the recap than the actual... Uh... <laughs> okay. Verse 42. Indriyani param yahurin driyebhya param manaha manasastu para buddhi Riyo buddhi paratastu saha indriyani paran yahurin driye param manaha manasastu para buddhi riyo buddhi paratastu saha The senses are said to be great. Greater than the senses is the mind. Greater than the mind is the intellect. That which is greater than the intellect is he. This is another verse from the Upanishads. It says, the five senses are very strong. They lure us into indulging in them. But this is only if we identify with our physical body. 
If you identify with the physical body, then the senses are very strong. Greater than the senses is the mind. Greater than the mind is the intellect. Greater than the intellect is he. What is he? Anyone? Ramesh, what is it? He? The self. Capital H. He or she. You can use either one. He or she. The he is the self. Brahman, Atman, God. So this is the hierarchy. Physical body, five senses, mind, intellect, the self. So what is it saying? Saying when you identify with the higher desires, the lower falls away. They don't bother you anymore. You rise above them. Very interesting. As you identify with the higher, the lower falls away. As we mentioned, if you're a physical person, your five senses draw you to the world to fulfill desires for hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, touching. But the moment you identify with the mind and its emotions, the five senses don't bother you. See the hierarchy? You rise above the demands of the senses as soon as you identify with the mind. Example, if you are grieving, do you, fancy, do, you, do you have a desire for eating? Someone close has passed away. Do you have a desire to watch TV, listen to music? Those desires don't bother you. All you're doing is grieving. Why? You're identifying with the mind and its emotions. You have to force feed someone to eat. There's no hunger. There's this wallowing in that grief. Identification of mind. Senses don't bother you. Yeah? Everyone agree? Okay. You meet a partner, fall in love. You're reveling in that emotion. You're thinking of him, thinking of her constantly. The joy of that emotion is far greater than the senses. I'm qualifying the mind here. Joy of that emotion, that love, that feeling, greater than the senses. You're content in that emotion. You don't feel like eating, going out, unless it's with that person. I'll only go out with him to the restaurant. I don't feel like going otherwise. Just lost that thought of the other person. Can anyone remember that feeling or has it been that long? Huh? Vijaybhai, you can remember that feeling? All you can do is think of the other person. So identifying with the mind, the lower falls away. Yeah, agree everyone? Another example, at work, someone gives you a chocolate. If you were a physical person identifying with the senses, you would eat and enjoy that chocolate. 
But if you were an emotional person, what would you do, do you think? What would you do if you were an emotional person? What might you do? You have a child at home. What would you do with that child? Vijay, what did you say? Share it or give it to them. If you were an emotional person, you might say, you know, my child would love this chocolate more than me. Let me take it home. And you give it to your child and, oh, mom, chocolate, you bought chocolate. You see the child eating the chocolate, enjoying the chocolate. The, the, the pleasure gained from that experience is far greater than you, when you eat it. That emotional feeling you get, oh, my child's eating chocolate. Look at that smile on his face, her face. Look at that uh, happiness in his eyes, her eyes. You see that in your child. Is that that emotion, that feeling is far greater than when you would have eaten it, correct? You can disagree. <laughs> Identifying with the mind. So the mind and its emotions are far superior than the enjoyment from the five senses. Any questions? Yeah, so. So here, where it says the most powerful of all is the supreme self. No, no, you mm. you did. You said the five senses are really strong. They yeah. lure me away, but only if I identify with my physical body. Yeah, mm. more powerful the, than the senses is the mind. Yeah, yeah. most powerful uh, than the mind is the intellect, but yeah. the most powerful is the self. Yeah. So if, and then you said if. If I identify with the higher, the lower automatically falls away. So if one is stronger than the other and it is more powerful, why is it that I get lured away by something weaker? You get lured by something weaker, like what? Like my desires. If, if we're saying, why? That, is it because I'm not identifying with the self yeah. at that moment in time? Or, or ever, if you're ignorant. Let's finish this, then we'll come back to it. Yeah? So that's the mind, higher than the senses. The senses, the desires for the five senses falls away when you identify with the mind. Then the intellect, higher than the mind. You identify with the intellect, you become an intellectual. What happens? You now identify with the intellect. What happens? The lower falls away. What happens when you identify with the intellect? Damesh, what happens? Yeah. You, if you're with your intellect, then hopefully your intellect's strong enough to realize that you know you should be concentrating on the self. 
Okay. So if the when you identify with the high, the lower falls away. When you identify with the mind, the five senses don't pull you to the world anymore. When you identify the intellect, then what happens? Yeah, Nilam? You become less emotionally reactive or attached. So you've got a more balanced thinking. The senses and the mind lose their power, their ability to pull you into the world. The five senses don't, the desires in the five, for the five senses fade away. The desires for emotions of the mind fade away. You're now reveling in the intellect. You're reveling with the knowledge, whatever knowledge that is. The joys of knowledge. You read a good book, you get immersed in it. You forget about everything else. Time goes so quickly. The book gives you so much pleasure. You forget to eat, forget to drink. Oh, blimey, I've been reading for two hours. You get engrossed in that. You see, the mind and the five senses lose their pull, lose their power. Because you're now reveling in the, in the intellect, which is far greater than the other, the other two. I remember when I was in the ashram, I was lost in this knowledge for three years. It gave so much pleasure. Intellectually, I was studying. The pleasure was far deeper, lasted far longer, any sensual emotional pleasure. Reveling in the intellect. Therefore, intellectual pleasure is higher than the five senses or the emotions of the mind. This is the hierarchy, we're going through it in detail. Does that make sense, Devon? Any questions? Then higher than the intellect is he, the self. To identify with the self, which is what we are learning about. Once you identify with the self within, you rise above the senses, the emotions of the mind, the pleasures of the intellect. All desires of the senses, mind and intellect dissolves. Any questions? So that's the hierarchy. So where are you? You don't need to answer that question. See, these great sages, they go around with just the clothes on their back and the begging bowl, completely content, smiling. They don't need anything. Whatever food they receive, they eat, and that's it. And they're happy. Lord Buddha was a prince. He gave up his kingdom. Why? And he went around begging. Why? Anyone? Why? Based on what we've just discussed, why? Vanita? Since his uh, desire to find the self is greater than the sensual pleasures and the 
even greater than the intellect as an They identify with the self within, the highest. Therefore, all the physical attractions, taste or food, drink, smell, whatever, the five senses, the mind, its emotions, the intellect with its intellectual demands, no longer bother this person. They don't have desires for any of those things. They're reveling in that feeling of being one with the self. See, by saying, I mean, what I've mentioned, you, you might say, well, you know, I don't believe you, but look, I'm giving examples of people who have reached that state. Any questions? So there's this sage who reached that point of self-realization. And he's praying every day, praying every day. And the Lord comes down and says, you are my devotee. I grant you a wish. What do you think he wished for? Would you, wish, would you, have, would you have wished for anything? What do you think he wished for? What would he wish for? The Lord says, I grant your wish for your devotion to me. The sage says, there's nothing I need. And he has nothing, by the way. <laughs> he has nothing. One pair of clothes, that's where he's wearing, that's it. He says, there's nothing I need. I'm so happy and content. The Lord said, no, I insist. You must wish for something. There's something you must. I must give you something. He says, when on his left leg, he had elephantitis. You know elephantitis? Your, le your leg looks like an elephant's leg. It's a disease. Some of you can remember, may have seen Elephant Man, John Hurt. He had elephantitis. So on one leg, on the left side, he had elephantitis. So he said, Lord, if I must wish, then I wish that the elephantitis on my left leg is moved to the right leg. That is was his wish. Please move this disease I have on my left leg to my right leg. Fulfilled, completely fulfilled. If God came to us, what would we ask for? You need to think for the for yourself. What would you ask for? So that is a Self-realized person, person who's reveling in the self. Move this disease I have on the left leg to my right leg. That's it. Dibhavan, what would you ask for? Don't tell me. <laughs> They've reached the highest state of perfection. So we all need to move up from wherever we are. If we're physical, move up to the emotion. If we're emotional, move up to the intellect, etc. As we gain this knowledge of the self, we start identifying with the self. We're able to control the lower more easily. Sittal, your question. Is this still? You okay? It's okay, great. 
Nilam, could you please? Have we read? Have we read the actual text? Forty-two. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Sorry. This verse appears in Gata Upanishad in section three, verses ten and eleven, and section six, verses seven and eight. The senses are said to be powerful, the mind more powerful than the senses, and the intellect more powerful than the mind. The most powerful of all is the supreme self. In this hierarchy, the more powerful controls the less powerful. The five senses are strong in themselves. The senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching lure you to indulge in the many sense objects, but the senses pull you only as long as you identify with your physical body. If, however, you shift your attention and identification to your mind, you begin to indulge in its emotions. You will find emotional satisfaction superior to physical pleasures. Thus, by moving to the level of the mind, the demands of the senses no longer victimize you. Your mind therefore controls your body and the senses. Again, if you shift your attention and identification to the intellect, you become intellectual. Living at the level of the intellect, all your emotional and sensual enjoyments lose their overpowering effect. You grow beyond them to subtler joys. Finally, by attuning to the self within, your entire range of desires pertaining to the body, mind and intellect disappears you reach the supreme state of human perfection. Thank you. Any questions? So that's the hierarchy. So you need to raise yourself from wherever you are. Verse 43. <laughs> Jahi Satrum Mahabaho Kamarupam Dura Sadam Evam Buddiparam Budva Samstabyatmana Matmana Jahi Satrum Mahabaho Kamarupam Dura Sadam Thus, knowing that which is greater than the intellect and restraining the self by the self, O Mahabaho, kill the enemy in the form of desire, hard to conquer. Thus, knowing that which is greater than the intellect and restraining the self by the self, O Mahabaho, Arjuna, kill the enemy in the form of desire, hard to conquer. So, in this last verse of this chapter, Lord Krishna gives a practical method to overcome desires. It consists of two disciplines. So this is, this is the formula of how to control your desires. You'll have to read it a few times. Think about it before you get it. The first discipline is knowing what is greater than the intellect, which is, as we've just covered in the last verse, the self, Atman, Brahman. That is greater than the intellect. So knowing that, 
Knowing the self means gaining greater knowledge, knowledge of the self. How will you get to know anything? By getting knowledge of it. So knowing what is greater, the self, knowing means knowledge, which is what we are doing every Sunday. We're trying to gain knowledge of the self. Vedantic knowledge is knowledge of the self. So first, that's what you need to do. If you gain this knowledge, it takes you closer to the self within. You remove your ignorance. Before you all join this class, you're relatively ignorant of this knowledge. Correct? You may have been a religious person. You may be visiting the temple regularly, praying every day at home, maybe reading books, but you did not have knowledge of the self, knowledge of Atman, Brahman, correct? You're doing all those things, but you don't have knowledge of Brahman. You may not have known that the self is within us all, that we are God. We can say we were ignorant of this knowledge. So the first discipline is to gain knowledge of the self. Is everyone clear? Any questions? Yeah? Okay. So that's the first discipline. Gain knowledge of the self. So you come into Sunday classes, make notes, read them during the week, listen to the podcast, and you can say, I know that I have knowledge of the self. So you need that first. The second discipline, it says, restraining the self by the self. Any idea what that might mean? Restraining the self by the self. Any ideas? Yeah, Neelam? Is this from, you know, if we say that if we're focused on the higher, the lower drops away. So rather yeah. than trying to use your mind or intellect to control the ego self, <laughs> yeah. you're actually use, uh, using the higher, you know? Yeah, okay. You are, you're partly right. You're partly right. You're now gaining knowledge of the self, which is of the higher. So you're using that. This is exactly what we just said. Gaining knowledge of the self helps you. So restraining the self by the self meaning means self-control. Just gaining the knowledge is not gonna help you. You must try to practice self-control. What does self-control mean? In the normal, normal aspect, what does self-control mean? Anyone? Yeah, Vanessa? It's like uh, if you know you like eating chocolates, so you eat a little piece of chocolate and satisfy that with yourself and then control that you're going to only eat chocolate once a week. That's self-control, knowing that you enjoy it, so you're going to indulge in it slightly, but not overindulge. So you have control over yourself because you know that you're not going to go over whatever your boundary within that. Okay. And, and then slowly maybe you could change that. I don't know. Yeah, self-control. It it's, it's exactly what it says. Controlling yourself. Controlling your desires. So you've got knowledge of the self. 
we'll just use the same example as Vanita said. You, let's say you love chocolates. Yeah, as Vanita just mentioned, you have a strong desire for chocolates. You're eating two bars a day. Mars bar and a topic every day. Your waistline is getting bigger. Your clothes don't fit you anymore. You're feeling sick, you're getting ill. You go to see a doctor, the doctor says you have to lose some weight. You're borderline diabetic. You've got to lose some weight. So what would you do? What would you do, Vanita, you just mentioned, what would you do? Control, have some self-control. Try to have some self-control, yeah? But how is that possible? So in the beginning, you might say, I'll, have I'll only have one bar a day. Mars on Monday, topic on Tuesday. That's a good start. Yeah? I'll only have one bar a day instead of two. You put in some effort to do this. This is self-control. Everyone with me? Everyone on the same page? Yeah? You decided, okay, Masterson, Doctor, I'll have one bar a day initially. Then what you might do is, he said I'm borderline diabetic. Let me gain some knowledge about the effects of diabetes long-term problems it can have on your body. You start learning about, you start Googling diabetic, diabetes, what does it mean? You start gaining knowledge of diabetes. As you gain more knowledge, you understand the danger you're in. You're more able to restrain yourself from the chocolates more because now you have knowledge of what diabetes can do to you. Soon you're having one every other day. You gain knowledge. I don't, want to, I don't want to become diabetic. This can cause a lot of problems in my life. You cut down to one every other day. You gain more knowledge. This allows you to have more self-control. Now you're having only one a week. And this is okay. You start losing weight. You enjoy that one a week. Because you have gained knowledge and practice self-control, you're able to control that desire. Correct? Everyone with me? Everyone, anyone disagree? So knowledge, self-control. You value your health. You understand the importance of it. Eventually, you can stick to one a week. We can eliminate that desire if you want. You know I'm going to give chocolates a break. Knowledge, self-control, hand in hand. Any questions? Practical method here, Lord Krishna is showing us. Now, if after you visited the doctor and said you're borderline diabetic and you just decide, okay, that's it, I'm not gonna have any more chocolates. You stopped immediately. Without practicing these two disciplines, what will happen? Anyone, what will happen? Yeah. What will happen? So you're suppressing that desire. So obviously the suppressed desire will create a stronger desire later or you'll cave in at some point and then you're going to indulge and it'll be worse. Maybe a couple fun. of days, yeah. Thank you, Vinta. Maybe a couple of days you don't eat chocolates. 
Soon you'll feel agitated. You'll feel suppressed. You'll feel frustrated. You're watching TV, every advert reminds you of the chocolate. <laughs> Google is sending you messages, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> the mind wants chocolate. All the special offers come up, chocolates. You can't take it, you can't do it. You just can't do it. Trying to just get knowledge without self-control, also nothing will happen to that desire. All you will gain is the understanding of the effects of diabetes, that's it. You can tell your friends about it, but no effect on yourself. So you need both knowledge and self-control to eliminate desires, to control desires. Okay, you want to become self-realized. In this book, you read about these great gurus. They go to the Himalayas and you say, you know what? I've decided, book your ticket. I'm going to the Himalayas. I want to become self-realized. You leave everything and you go to the Himalayas, what will happen? What will happen? Deepavan, what will happen? Tomorrow, you book a ticket, Himalayas, I'm leaving everything, self-realization I want to gain. You leave everything and go to the Himalayas. What will happen? You're just suppressing all your desires and if you head off without any knowledge, you're not going to gain anything. All your desires will follow you. Constant mental agitations. Your husband will be ringing you, your daughters will be ringing you, or your friends will be ringing you. Constant mental agitation. Within a couple of weeks, you'll be back. You know what, forget that self-realization. I tried, it's not for me. Because you're not mentally prepared. You have not reduced your worldly desires. How can you do it? It's not possible. Swami Tapavan, we sometimes give example. He went to the Himalayas when he was about mid-30s. He fulfilled all his obligations. His parents passed away, he had a younger brother. He got him university, he got him educated, he got him married. He did all his obligations. Then he went to the Himalayas. And he knew once he left, he will never come back. He fulfilled every obligation before he went. And he never came down from Rishikesh, ever. He was Swami Chinmayananda's guru. And Swami Patasati was Swami Chinmayananda's disciple. So Swami Tapavan, Swami Chinmayananda, Swami Patasati, whose book we are studying now. This is the lineage. You can Google the life of Swami Tapavan. Very inspiring. So only when we gain knowledge and we practice self-control, we rise above our worldly desires. You get 5% knowledge, 
5% restraint from the desire. Further 10% knowledge, you put self-effort, further 10% restraint from the desire. You continue until you have one desire left. I want to gain moksha. I want to gain self-realization. Then you're ready to go. Goodbye, everyone. I'm off. You go to the Himalayas and you stay there. And nothing pulls you down because you have no more desires. You're mentally prepared. So this is self-control. So we need to balance these two dis disciplines carefully. They both go hand in hand. Knowledge, self-control. Knowledge, self-control. As you practice the higher values, it helps you restrain a little more. Little by little, as you gain more knowledge, this helps restrain the desires further, which in turn helps us to gain more knowledge. It's like a pedal in a toy car. As you press one pedal, the other pedal comes up. You press that pedal, the other pedal comes up. So as you press both medals one after the other, the car starts moving. Same way. So we can practice this method, use this method to help us reduce any desires we set ourselves to. Ultimately helps us to eradicate all our desires which then leads us to self-realization. Any questions? So that is a practical method of controlling your desires. So read it again, think about it, put it in practice, try it. Krishna refers to Arjuna as Mahabaho, meaning mighty armed. This is to inflame the warrior within him. Oh, Mahabaho, kill these desires. Krishna says, Arjuna, now, in now go and kill desires, the greatest enemy known to man. Arjuna is a warrior. So for him, the word enemy means I must kill. Lord Krishna also says, eradicating desire is the most difficult challenge in our life. It's not easy. Hence, the Lord has given us the method. It's not easy. It takes effort. We have to practice it. But we must have faith. Eventually, we will get there. With the Lord's help. We have the knowledge of Lord Krishna from the Gita. You follow it. And slowly, you'll get to your goal. Any questions? Read, Vanita, would you read the commentary, please? Krishna concludes the chapter with a practical approach to overcome the dreaded enemy, desire. The ad advice suggests two disciplines. One, realizing the self within as greater than the intellect. Two, restraining the self by the self. The first discipline you acquire is knowledge. It removes ignorance, avarna. In the second, you practice self-control, which reduces mental agitations, big sipper. You will have to blend both these disciplines carefully. Without self-control, attempt to acquire knowledge will not sustain itself. You will ultimately be drawn to sensual fields. On the other hand, 
if you try to force self-restraint without acquiring knowledge, you will become suppressed, repressed individual. As you gain a little piece of knowledge, you must then support it with a small measure of self-control. Likewise, self-restraint must be backed by adequate knowledge of the values practiced. Acquisition of knowledge of the higher helps to increase your practice of self-restraint. While practice of self-restraint enhances your ability to acquire more knowledge. Thus, knowledge and self-restraint act as two pedals to the wheel of progress in life. Together, they enable you to conquer desires and reach the ultimate self goal of self-realization. Mahaboho means mighty armed. Krishna calls Arjuna by the name to incite the warrior in him to kill his greatest enemy, desire. Here, for the fourth time, Krishna uses the word enemy, sastru, for desire. He further incites the warrior instinct in Arjuna by the challenges, by the challenge that this inverate enemy of man is indeed hard to conquer. Hard to conquer, but not impossible to conquer. Yeah, remember. Any questions? So that's the conclusion of the third chapter. Om Tatsadipi Srimad Bhagavad Gita Supani Sastu Brahma Vidyayam Yoga Sastres Sri Krishna Juna Sambade Karma Yogo Nama Pripyodhyayaha Om that is real. Thus, in the Upanishads of the glorious Bhagavad Gita, the science of the eternal, the scripture of yoga, the dialogue between Sri Krishna and Arjuna ends the third chapter entitled The Yoga of Action. We always conclude a chapter by reading the first verse again of that chapter to understand that our knowledge is not complete when we must continue. So the verse verse 1 of chapter 3 Arjuna uvacha yayasi chet karma naste mata buddhi janadana tat kim karma nigore mam so we will begin chapter four next week, the yoga of renunciation of action in wisdom. So we look forward to that. Any questions? Anybody has any clarifications before we conclude today? I hope you enjoyed chapter three. You just need one verse to hit you and your life can change. One chapter to inspire you and your life can change. Have a lovely day and we will meet up next week. <laughs>